What's up, world? I'm Angelica Beener, and this is Milestones, a new podcast where my special guests and I take deep dive looks into landmark albums that are in a milestone year. So we've got 10 episodes in the books. Major shout out to every single guest who has shared space with me to talk about music. And I'm really excited to be kicking off the next 10 and the next 10 after that and 10 after that. Um, feels really good to be back. I want to start off by announcing that this episode is dedicated to the life of my sister, Marcia, who recently graduated to the realm of the ancestors on November 1st, 2021, and whose birthday is today. I know she is with us, and one of the many ways for me to truly honor her legacy is through the arts and the artistic experiences we shared. She was a serious patron of the arts for many, many years. Her life was full of music. She was an audiophile of the highest order, and I don't know anyone who has been to more live concerts, music festivals, and club dates than my sister. She possessed a beautiful music collection, which we will get into on this episode, and she is literally one of the biggest music lovers I have ever known. And most importantly for me, it is one of the ways that we connected deepest. And so... It's just one of many fitting ways to honor her life, her passion, and her legacy. And I say her legacy because she was a teacher as it pertained to music. You know, she was one of my teachers. So this is one of the first of many episodes that will honor her. And in doing so, there is only one person that I could think of to help me with this inaugural honoring of my sister, Marsha and getting it off on the right foot. My special guest today is a world-class, award-winning vocalist, instrumentalist, producer, composer, arranger, cultural historian, and family man. With musical collaborators and mentors like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, he has also worked with Usher, Ghostface, Yolanda Adams, Mary J. Blige. He co-penned the chart-topping single You for breakout singer Nicole Buss, which spent 22 weeks on the Billboard charts. His episodic series Wow TL Cross is currently taking the hip-hop world by storm with his narrative style of threading and weaving seemingly disaffiliated people, places, and events. He has become an essential griot for the culture. He is my friend, my brother, my musical kindred soul, the original and dynamic TL Cross. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. The word that stood out for me was original. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> but but no doubt, you know, and listen for for full for full disclosure, yes, this is this is my this is my very, very closest, closest friend. And uh I just want to kind of put out there just the the love and family thread that she and I have. So this will be a very, very important and special episode for me as well. So I am honored, honored to be here. And I just want to give a shout out also to my good friend, Marsha. Amen. 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 Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and I, I, I thank you. I thank you, brother. I love you. I love you too. So we're here to talk about an album. Yes. That I'm going to read a little something that I think will set off this conversation beautifully. Mm. A genius 
youth grew up with, sings a new song, Now He's Free. This album is virtually the work of one man. And then there's some caveats there, but virtually the work of one man. It says, mm. the man is his own instrument. Mm. The instrument is an orchestra. Mm. Come on now. Yes. Stevie draws his vision from the world of pure vibration, which is music, feelings, energy. He builds his world in sound. Sensitive and earthy, he sings and plays like a child with joyful spirit, yet with a master's depth and skill. This album marks a milestone in the development of a great talent, a man who keeps his promise. Stevie in maturity shines with that same loving and brilliant light that has drawn people to him for a decade. Born a star, he never lets his technical and artistic proficiency overshadow his deep humility. This album is a gift to the spirit from one who really cares. Mm. Music of my mind. Music of my mind. Yes, sir. Mind. yes sir. The, the Stevie Wonder. Come on. The, the eighth, Stevie. The eighth, ninth, and tenth wonder of the yes. world. Yes. I like that. I like that. I like that. Did uh, you just, I'm just saying, like, did you just come up? That's what that I love that. I did. I, I literally just, do you like that? I, I love it. Like, you, you were hit with a moment of inspiration and you obeyed it. I did. I, I, <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's what we do. It's what we do. So, this album, Music of My Mind, is 50. It turned 50 yesterday, March 3rd. Wow. The day before Marsha's birthday. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it is just to, to even think that music that poignant, it was 50 years ago. When you put it on, it sounds like, it sounds so fresh. It always sounds new. And to think that that was 50 years ago, it bring, it like literally brings 50 years all the way up to the now. That's so deep. You know what? I saw something today, one of your favorite thinkers, and I, I thought about it earlier, but I didn't think about it to bring into this conversation until you said what you just said. He said, all history is a current event. Don Henry Clark said that. Yes. All history is a current event. So when you said that about 50 years being right in front of us like this, it just... And that's that's it. That's it. You know, you it's almost like you want to ask sometimes a person that's creating something so amazing as Music of My Mind, somebody the eighth, ninth, and tenth wonder of the world. Um, and that kind of has a very whitish uh, uh, reference, eighth, ninth, and tenth. But um, that's a whole nother <laughs> inside joke, inside joke, inside joke. But shout out to Barry shout White. Out to the legend. You are so crazy. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you were a fly on the wall 50 years ago and say, do you know that you are making history? I think. People like Steve, the likes of Stevie Wonder, they know that they are. Because the thing is this, first and foremost, my historian walk really kind of started with me doing my family tree. Mm -hmm. And I first had to realize and understand that this is my personal history and that we all have a personal history. And our personal history is connected to the history of 
the world. And not only is it connected to the history of the world, it is connected to the history of all time. So it is very important, it's very profound. And so when you're creating anything that before you put pen to paper, finger to note, or whatever the case may be, you're creating a thing that didn't uh, exist in that form. And so it is history. And as we sit here and listen to this, I'm thankful that they were there that day or those days to be in that studio and actually creating those things in that form that we had never heard before because we're still being affected by it today. You know, I was listening to this album in in preparation to talk to you Mm -hmm. and I heard things I hadn't heard before. It moved me in a way that it hadn't before. You know what I mean? Like all of that. But but you are so right. And of course, I've been, um, you know, privileged enough to to hear firsthand about the work you're doing with your family tree. Also to watch you really elevate the game when it comes to oral history via your show, Wow T.L. Cross. Shout out. Wow Shout T.L. out. Cross. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and um I think what you're saying is so important when we think about what we're doing individually to have that presence of mind, to know that it reverberates out. Like when you throw a pebble in a pond and and you see those ripples go out, that's what we're doing with every decision we make, be it artistic, be it, you know, whatever is that it's having that kind of impact and so I would think too that that Stevie understood that what's wild is that he's 21, 22 years old. Yes. That that right there, how do you reconcile somebody being 21 and doing an album like Music of My Mind? I thought about that. I absolutely thought about that because I had saw somewhere someone was talking about a classic hip hop album. They were talking about Illmatic. And they were saying, man, you know, when that was happening, Nas was 19 or Nas was 20, you know, blah. And you and you say, wow, that was really young. And then you think about the life of Tupac. And then you say, wow, like he was actually a baby, He's you a know, baby. in the grand scheme of things. Um, his I heard his mom, you know, uh, Afini Shakur say he was in the embryonic stages of his life when it came to his thoughts and some of the stuff that he was doing. But it was so powerful. And ever since I heard people say that about those guys. I had begun wondering when I'm listening to a person's genius, how old was this guy? How old was this lady? How old were they when they wrote this, when they did that? And I thought about that. And I was saying to myself, if mankind, humankind asked themselves, what was I doing at 21? (laughs) (laughs) What was I saying at 21? What was I thinking at 21? And you know what's so crazy? Here's the crazy thing. And this is not a knock on my young brothers and sisters, because listen, I'm really talking about myself when I say this. So this is not a knock on anybody. 20 something oftentimes is the period where you feel like you know it and you are going hard for what you know. (laughs) And then 10 years later, you think back and you hear it and cringe about what you were saying at that age to say that that is the norm to go back and listen to music of my mind. And that's what he was thinking at 21. That's what he was doing. That's what he was creating. You would have to think like, this is like, I would be so happy and proud of me as a 21 year old. (laughs) If, If you could go back and say, that's what I was doing and thinking at 21. 
he got it right at 21. <laughs> right, right. Oh, man. I never really thought about that until I started gaining some years on me, thinking about Martin and Malcolm and Medgar and Jimmy Baldwin and Angela and Audrey and Tony Martin. These are young, young, young people, really, really young people. It's inspiring. But here's the thing. I'm going to give you some credit though, because see, I was, I was, when you were 21, I was there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> and, and you were there when I was 21. And you know what? I'm going to say this. We, we got it right too, my brother. We got it right too. You know what? Thank you for bringing that up because, you know, again, full disclosure, I found a videotape and you know, and you know how old it is because I, I yes, I said videotape. <laughs> <laughs> I found a videotape from you and I just talking or like interviewing one another and stuff like that. And you can hear, uh, we were asking one another, we were doing kind of what we we're doing now, actually, before there was a show, before there were any accolades as it pertains to this here. We were already doing this. We've been practicing for this moment. Amen. So just hearing some of the answers that you gave when I asked you a question, some of the answers that I gave you, to your point, I was pleasantly surprised that we didn't sound like fools, like this, <laughs> like cringing, like there were no cringeworthy moments that everything was like, wow, wow, mm, wow, wow. You know what I mean? And That's so, right. you know. Listen, praise be to God, you know. That's right. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Because there's certain artists like Stevie, like Michael Jackson, there aren't many sort of transgenerational artists, right? Yes. yes. But Stevie being probably next to Michael, the preeminent mm. transgenerational artist, yeah. what was your entree into Stevie Wonder? At what point of Stevie's journey did you jump in? Listen, I'm going to tell you what. So I'll tell you uh, when I jumped in unconsciously and then when I jumped in consciously and then I dove in, uh, which was three different times for me. The first unconsciously was just the music, just hearing the music and knowing that that was a man named Stevie Wonder. I'm talking about uh, single digits. I'm talking about four years old, five years old, six years old, hearing the music, loving the music, and being able to hear the voice and say, that's Stevie Wonder. But that, that came through him being played mainly by my dad and the radio, you know, because he was all over the place. I think for me, I, I saw an episode of The Cosby Show when he was on there and he, uh, you know, there was an incident where his limo driver hit one of the two of the Cosby kids. And next thing you know, they're in the studio with him. <laughs> like they got my license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, Different you know, episode, but, it, it, you know, it fits. <laughs> it, it's perfect. It's perfect. And so in, they end up, he ended up invi you know, in, inviting them, you know, to the studio. And I watched this man, this is the Stevie Wonder that I had always sang his music and, you know, knew of him and, you know, saw the album covers and listened to my father rant and rave about him and stuff um, that I liked. 
but this this separated him from the other records in the pile and the other singers and songs and watching him sample. I mean, watching, uh, I had never seen that before. I, I didn't know what that even was that I was experiencing. So it made me feel like he was just, he was cutting edge. He was doing something that you don't normally see, not only singers do, but anyone do on television, you know, and it was musical. And uh, I watched him, I watched the creating process right before my eyes. I hadn't seen that, you know what I'm saying? And that, it fascinated me. It, it, it made me feel like you can be in a place, create stuff, think of stuff, imagine stuff, put it together. And it is a thing. It is a work of art, you know, and then people can listen to it and it can affect lives. And, you know, just watching that, I never heard him the same again. Every time I heard his music, I began to like imagine what may have been going on in the studio, in his mind. And, with, you know, I, I began to dissect music, you know, because of that, literally. And my dive in, my deep dive into the Stevie Wonder thing happened in high school when I had to do a, uh, I had to take a poem and uh, make the poem, take a poem and break the poem down, say the poem in front of the class and break it down. I had decided to do a song. I asked, can I do a song? And the teacher said, yes. And I did um, All in Love is Fair. And I read it as a poem. And then I, line for line, talked about the symbolism behind everything. And that was a result of a deep dive that I had started doing into Stevie Wonder, not just as a vocalist and not just as a musician and composer, but also a lyricist. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was just saying, I wish I, I, wish I could have seen that. <sighs> yeah. yeah. You know what? I think I have written down, I, I still have my Trapper Keeper. And uh, I, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that word out there. It's <laughs> still, so fitting. It's so fitting. I still have my traffic keeper and in there it has that. And I wrote my notes. It'd be like a line. Uh-huh. And I write my note under it. What I want to say about that line. I still have that. What class was this for a music class or was it an English class? It was an English class. What grade? I was in the... <laughs> See, you know what? See, see, y'all. Uh, see, we full disclosure. We also went to high school together. Yeah, and we had a notorious English class together. It wasn't that one. It wasn't that one. It was a different one. But listen, it, y'all. If we started talking about that class, we might as well talk about that for the rest of the time because that is worth a whole episode. So exactly in and of itself. Okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't ninth grade English. It wasn't ninth grade English. No, okay. it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> but but well, I well, seriously do wish that I, that I could have seen you do that. Well, I can't be greedy. I've been, I've been there for so many moments and the, the countless hours on the phone. And as a matter of fact, I would say that Stevie Wonder for you and I, no pun intended, was, mm-hmm. you see what I did there? See what you did there. <laughs> it was, he was the artist that when we knew that beyond our normal friendship and the jokes and laughing and things like that, when we knew that we could talk about the deeper things in life, it was largely through the lens of talking about Stevie Wonder. Absolutely. That is so true because his music touches on so many different aspects of life. 
you know, and, and how, but how about you though? Like, you know, what was, what was your cognizant like introduction or, or, or otherwise, like, how did you come into the world? Stevie Wonder World, Wonderland. Wonderland, yeah. Wonderland. Because that's what it feels like. It's like yeah. this magical place to go, literally. It is. And I would say that th- it's interesting because three things come to my mind as well. The first thing is Talking Book, mm. which comes out six months after Music of My Mind, which is really interesting to me, but we'll put a pin in that for now. Yeah. But because um, in my mind, I don't know, for whatever reason, Talking Book was always 73. I don't know why it was it was hard for me to put it in 72 because I'm like music of my mind is 72 talking book is 73 and the vision 70 I had this like <laughs> did you did you also at times have that absolutely it blew my mind it blew my mind once I looked at the actual day um, uh, dates in years of though I was like what how exactly it, yeah yeah I get you I'm with you yeah so talking book was my first cognizant memory of Stevie Wonder and one of my earliest recollections of music one of one of the earliest ones uh, I was I grew up in in the Bronx and the apartment that we lived in it's still a place that I go to when I want to feel a certain thing a certain magic it's only in this one apartment mm-hmm. and it's largely because of how dope the layout was and how dope the acoustics were in in the apartment. Mm. So the thing about it was that, you know, somebody in the house would play Talking Book. That album was in constant rotation. And Mm. you know what would happen? I could listen to You Are the Sunshine of My Life. Mm -hmm. I could listen to Maybe Your Baby. Mm -hmm. When Maybe Your Baby started coming to a close and he's making all those sounds, you know, and it's doing all these things. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I would literally start looking for a place to go and kind of hide because I knew that when you and I started, I was going to weep. I could not handle that song because I had never heard a song that had that kind of effect on the vocal. Mm. And so he, it was just, you could almost feel and see, you could almost see the, the energy waves in the house when that song would come on. And it was deep. So mm-hmm. that's like my first and that brown cover and the Braille and all of that. Also the Cosby show, you know, I was Rudy's age with the little giraffe and jamming on the one and jamming, on the, one. jamming on the one <laughs> and uh, in square circle because mm-hmm. I just called to say, I love you. Now, did you, I don't know if you woke up to an alarm clock back in 85, right? But we had a radio alarm clock and it feels to my memory that more often than not, I was waking up to, I just called to say, I love you. And so that album between, I just called to say, I love you. And I I remember part-time lover, there was a video for it. And then there was a video for go home. And I was like, Stevie wonders on an escalator, like by himself. And, you know, (laughs) so it was like talking book because that's what, was being played in the house yeah. and the Cosby show, because that's what was on at the time mm-hmm. and in square circle, because it was 1985. So mm-hmm. that, w- that would be, I would say like sort of my entry into to Stevie wonder. And then I didn't get into 
music of my mind until mm. high school. Mm. I had, um, Marsha was, you know, my sister lived in LA and uh, from the time I was maybe four or five years old and I was like a freshman or so. And I asked her, she was coming to town and I asked her to bring me some Stevie Wonder, check it out. I asked her to bring me a, some Stevie Wonder CDs that I was going to convert to cassette. <laughs> this is, you know, this is before I knew how to like burn CDs and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I, my whole thing was I'm going to play the CD and I'm going to record it on some tapes. Right, right. And I said, can you bring me some? And I bugged the shit out of her for these, for these mm -hmm. CDs. Can you bring mm -hmm. the CDs? You're going to bring them. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Because yeah, yeah. this is like deep dive Stevie time. She's like, yeah. I got you. I got you. I got you. She never was like, Angelica, listen, you know, she was just like, I got you. I got, so, you. I got you. So <laughs> the night before she said, they're in the suitcase. Once she said that, <sighs> I could relax. They in the suitcase. I know we good, you know. You're good. When she got to the house and she sat this smaller suitcase on the bed she unzipped it we're both sitting on the bed she plops it open stack after stack after stack I'm talking about handfuls mm. she had to have brought 30 Stevie Wonder CDs I'm not, I could not believe in my mind she's gonna bring five ten CDs you know <laughs> she just kept unpacking and I'm just looking at this like Oh my God. Like it was, it's one of the moments I'll never, ever, ever forget. Mm. And one of the CDs that stuck out to me was this music of my mind. I'd never heard it before. Mm. Mm. I popped it in my disc man. <laughs> Come on, we got trapper keepers and disc man. It's me, yes, sir. And I I put I pop it in my disc man. And my life is forever changed. So that's mm -hmm. sort of my. Wow. Wow. Now, now what about music of my mind? Just seeing it stood out. Was it the fact that you hadn't heard it or did it have to do with like the way it looked? Cause when you think about it, when I think music of my mind, the first thing that pops into my mind is that picture. Yes. Shades, you know, with, with the reflection on there and stuff like that. It just was so intimate you know, the fro and stuff, it just, you know what I mean? It's kind of like when you think of, when you think of talking book, you think of the braids and the, you know, the, and the braille and the, you know, the braille and the garb and, you know, that, you know, you, yeah, you think about that. So, you know, me, you know, and, and just let, let's take some time out to give Stevie props and his team for having amazing album covers and artwork and it being the perfect picture or artwork for that project whatever that project may be it shows you the importance of having people around you that get you yeah because because the people that apparently you know were around him you know the art directors and stuff they got him they understood what he was doing not just from the perspective of a he's a star he's a legend he's a he's known he's a cultural you know but it is absolutely this is Stevie Wonder. This is what Stevie Wonder is about musically, you know, almost like, you know, uh, I don't remember who told me this, but sometimes when you understand your art, 
uh, to a T. You can even touch a fabric and say, this is consistent with what I do, not this fabric. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. Take something and say, this is consistent with what, you know what I mean? And so all the senses. uh, So shout out to that team. Him him bringing us into his mind, body, soul, spirit so amazingly that a person could literally create something visual for that, even though he he's 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 what you would call blind or unsighted. You know, the fact that that there can be a cohesiveness, you know, it speaks to him getting it out of his mind and out there perfectly. That is really brilliant. I mean, when and when you look at when I look at the, the inside, the gatefold of the album, right? Oh yeah. This to me, the first thing I think about, the first thing I that it draws to me is it kind of reminds me of Bitches Brew. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Like it has this element of that, but like let's let's like break down some of the things that are here. You have indigenous tribal symbolism here, yes. you have the black bull which is representative of him being Taurus. In yeah, fact, yeah. he this is the year or maybe the year before where he starts Taurus Productions, Black Bull Music. Right. And soon after starts uh, producing under El Toro Negro. Yes. So there's all of that astrology symbolism. There's, mm-hmm. there's African yes. people here. There's the earth and the mountains and the stars. And yes. I mean, it's really just in this tap. Yeah, it's like a, it's like an artistic, tapestry of like you said what's happening in his mind mm-hmm. um Gaetano I want to mm-hmm. say is the person who's credited as doing the cover photos and then the cover art and montage another word for it is Daniel Blumenau so okay shout out shout out to them I I, I have I don't know en- enough about them but they're the ones who pulled this together now look at this mm-hmm. you have a pyramid I see it you know, this African imagery yeah. here and the rainbow. Yeah. When did Dark Side of the Moon come out? Like that prism. Yes, that's a great. Mm, that is a great question. <laughs> that is, let's go back and do our research. Yeah, because I want to say that 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 was later. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say music of my mind is pretty early. It's pretty early. Yeah, okay, okay. I see what we're doing here. Pink I see you, Pink Floyd. I see you, I see you Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the art, like you said, um, the art grabbed me. This pink and orange uh, and font here. And then, like you said, the shades with the pink. I just, I'd never seen Stevie look like that. Yes. And so I said, and music of my mind and these shades, like, well, what's what's this? What's going on? What is what is going on in his mind? Yeah. And I think that funny enough, without even opening that and looking at that brilliant artwork, you could kind of guess that this is the type of stuff, among other things, that would be in the mind of, of such a person that would create what we're hearing. You know what I'm saying? You would you would think that it wouldn't just be like just a bunch of hearts and a piano and a, a concert <laughs> hall and a, some guitars. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> like, well, of course, you know, but there is something deeper. There's something more profound. There's something spiritual. There is something earthly and universal. You know, there is you know uh, 
you, you would have to know that there's some cultural, you would have to know that just in listening to what he was creating on that. And then a man, just, that's just a microcosm of what was to come. Imagine what he was on the cutting edge of. So let's, let's talk about that because to set up this album, you know, before we really start diving deep in it, let's go back just a little bit, just for context sake, right? Because this is 1972. This is the top of 1972. Where is Stevie as an artist in 1972, 1971, like what's happening to him as it pertains to his label, his creativity, all those things. Like, do you want to touch on some of that? Like what's happening with him as an artist? Absolutely. I mean, well, let me tell you, we've talked about this before and I love when you talk about this, by the way, that's one of my favorite things to hear you talk about is his transitional uh, period in that way. But what I will say is Stevie was clearly in a, a place of gaining his independence. I am a huge Funk Brothers fan, you know, and Stevie Wonder, man, he did some amazing work with the Funk Brothers as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. And they say that when he first came, he was just kind of banging on the piano, just trying to do a little something on the piano. He was playing the drums and, you know, and harmonica, you know, and all, you know, and then he was a studio rat, hung around those guys. Next thing you know, he's on the piano. Next thing you know, he's creating his own thing. Next thing you know, they're recording the thing that he created. Next, you know, and so here we are in 72, him coming off of, you know, where I'm coming from and a very experimental, as some people may have said, but here is Stevie Wonder at a point where he is right on the verge of showing not only the world, but bursting just from his own spirit, all of this stuff that was going to go on. I mean, for the next how many albums to go on and change the course of not only popular music, not only black music, not only culture, future artists. There are if we had if if we had to take albums and stack them up and say these are all the albums post 72, 73, 74, 75, that those recordings actually inspired and influenced. I mean, it would fill up this whole room and then some, you know. So he was right on that cutting edge. I know with Motown, you know, shout out to the brilliant Marvin Gaye, who in 71, uh, he had what's going on. And Motown, uh, the way I understand it, in 71, 72, we're not talking about Motown 1965. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not talking about Motown 64, 66. We're talking about Motown, California. Now, they've been moved over there. We're not talking about Detroit no more. Right. We're not about the snake pit no more with the You know, we're not talking about that anymore now you're trying to keep up with some of the other things that are happening in popular music. And here you have a person, a wonder in Stevie Wonder that get that new contract, you know, is- Babe, you know what I'm saying? Let's talk about it. Talk about it. 
Listen, listen. And it's it's so funny. It, it's in, in sports, oftentimes somebody gets the big contract and then everything declines because they got the big payday. So now I'm good. Now I can relax. But I mean, for as big as his contract was, Stevie Wonder, he was vastly underpaid, you know, for what he was about to do. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I look at I look at this period of time as the time where Stevie Wonder was about to move into the forefront in popular music as a trendsetter. He had already been working around with some things and messing around with some things. But at this point, he was literally about to he was set to move to the to the head of the line and have everybody kind of follow him. People who on his own label would pat him on the head and say, man, he's just such a, a talented little boy. You know what I'm saying? They want to know what Stevie doing. Stevie, can you do that for me? You know what I'm saying? Hello. Yeah. Because yeah. let's talk about that. By the time Stevie is 20, mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the songs he's written for other people. You got Tears of a Clown. Ooh. Tammy Terrell does the first version of All I Do. All I Do, All that, which is beautiful, by the way. Oh, my gosh. That, it, it's it's haunting. It, it, it has, right? That's the word I was going to use. I, I know it. Listen, we could finish each other's sentences all day. All day. You know, but he's writing with uh, Sylvia Moy and, 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 and his mom. Lula Mae Hardaway is even a, a a writer at you know which I only realized about five years ago. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that about her, but he's writing hits. Yes, he is for for other people. The Supreme spinners. Top, the, the, the spinners. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. Same, yeah. I know he wrote something from Marvin Gaye, so he's so he's already writing for other people. He's already got top ten hits. Yeah, you can hear in the late sixties where now he's playing the clap. You know, he's making room for himself mm. as an artist. But like you said, it's this sort of like caution. There's this trepidation. And when you think about it, it, it seems unthinkable to us that there would be trepidation because we're, it's easy to look at the hindsight and say, how could you? But I don't know if there's a label that has a more identifiable sound than Motown. It is such a thing. It's such a formula. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative sense. Oh, yeah. No, I get it. You know what I mean? But it, I think any good label has a signature, has a sound. Yeah. Yeah. And asking to depart from that. I'm in the house. Yeah. But I'm building. An extension. An extension, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> you know, is, um, I guess, was a was a scary thing. And, and I'm glad you brought up Marvin Gaye because I feel like. Marvin Gaye sort of helped kick that door down for Stevie to do that. I have a question for you, though. Mm -hmm. A lot of time when people talk about the music of my mind, it's sort of the first chapter in what is known as Stevie's classic era. Mm -hmm. Is that where you start Stevie Wonder's classic era? I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you. Well, I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. In the past, no. In the past, I had started it at Talking Book. Like, (laughs) okay. In the past, in the past, I had started it at Talking Book, but here's why. I wasn't as familiar with music of my mind as I was with Talking Book, like you. Right. You know, at the time. You know what I'm saying? 
in you know music of my mind here's a funny story i became aware of music in my mind in the way where i really started delving into it and falling in love with it yo i was actually at albie shaw's house what <laughs> I was at a shout out to Albie Shore. Shout out to Albie. <laughs> shout out to Albie, man. Yeah, man. I was, I was at Albie's <laughs> house. <Sorry. laughs> but but we we were we were assigned to him through Motown Records into the late 90s. And um, you know, I was just looking through his record collection on everything that said Motown. And I was just kind of, you know, kind of getting into the vibe of the Motown vibe, which I had already grown up on, love. Um, and I was just, you know, and then, of course, you know, you had to look up, and Motown was so bad, and so you had to look up Gordy, you had to look up Soul, you had to look up Tamla, you had to look up Motown. Okay. <laughs> you, had to, you had to find all these different labels in order to, and then every time you seen Tamla, I've seen Tamla, I'm thinking... This is probably going to be Stevie Wonder, you know, mm-hmm. maybe Smokey, whatever. So I get uh, Stevie Wonder in this uh, music music of my mind. And I said, you know, I've seen this cover before. And um, for some reason, we didn't have it. We, we had we had the other ones. We had talking, but we had everything else. We didn't have music of my mind. So I was like, I'm going to I'm going to listen to this. And the first thing I went to was Superwoman because I was familiar with it you know and I was like ah oh, this is my joint right here you know so I just I just went I went right to right do it right <laughs> so I was like man you know can I hold this so Albie said no um so what I did was I just I stayed in his basement and I listened to it like cover to cover and um it was at that moment that I said yo this is before Talking Book. And it was then that I started rearranging some things in my mind to wow. see what's what and stuff. Now, in the grand scheme of things, when you really listen down to his albums, you know, it's almost like you got to go back to where I'm coming from in order to see some type of a, some type of a pivot is happening at that point. You know, in music of my mind is just like it's like a bud, but then it just like starts blossoming. And then those other albums, you start just really seeing like a whole bushel of beautiful flowers and, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No. I, yes, I do know what you mean. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I think that the older I get or the more I really just study Stevie the further back his classic era goes for me as well. Because for me, like you said, talking book is, it's this seminal album, Superstition. He's arrived, he's getting the Grammys now. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's really in the pocket as they say. But then when you go back to music of my mind, it's like, wait a minute, this is really the beginning of the classic era. And then I say something, that's probably unconventional and maybe even a little irresponsible from a sort of um, historian or journalistic point of view. It's just more of a heartfelt sentiment. I feel his classic era starts in 71 with where I'm coming from at this point. I realized that 
there's a big important shift that hasn't happened yet, which we're going to talk about in a second, when he meets these two men that change the whole trajectory of his recording abilities and all of those things. But for me, when I hear just that opening of, to me, it's it's two songs. It's it's look around and it's sunshine in their eyes. Those two songs for me, and it's funny because they book and the album, but for me, those two songs, there's no way you can listen to them and not hear that this is sort of like the beginning of the portal. Listen, absolutely. That clavy, you know, and it's so interesting because the song is where I'm coming from. I mean, the album is where I'm coming from, but here comes the bump bump part. Um, it could have been called Where I'm Going. Come on. Come huh? on. Huh? Come on. Oh, you, you didn't have to drop that <laughs> on me like that now. Ooh, okay. Where yes. I'm coming from. You know what I mean? Yes. It, it, no, I, I am with you a hundred a, a million percent because, like I said, I I would I was starting everything right. Talking book, you know what I'm saying? Talking. Or whatever, but those elements, though, you know what that reminds me of? Well, not I guess a smaller, just a microcosm of it. Um, <laughs> Michael Jackson's Thriller, mm-hmm. Billy Jean feels like the first single. Like they'll say, Man. "Yeah, you know that Thriller came out." You know, and then Billy Jean dropped, and it's like, no, <laughs> like, that is not how it happened. That is not the chronology. That's not the chronology, and you realize it's the third single you know what i'm saying and so in that way billy jean would be talking book you know what i'm saying but there were things that came before that was the i was having a conversation with two good friends of mine it was the most bizarre conversation i've ever had in my life (laughs) and two good friends of mine two of my closest friends shout out to them brothers i don't want to throw them under the bus because i love them so much yes But, but we were talking about the album thriller and they were talking about how they would have sequenced it different in in how they would have released the singles differently and i'm saying but it ended up being the most successful run of an album why would you change anything right you know what i'm saying right so everything happened the way it should have happened in order to get to what it is so that's how i kind of feel uh um in in wonderland that's how i feel about those albums i feel like you know you needed where I'm coming from, that was that was a setup. There was a next thing. Then there was a next thing. Then there was a next thing. There's a story. It's almost like a scroll. You're looking at all of these things that came to be and where I'm coming from. You know, you needed the other, you needed the Motown stuff, the Funk Brothers stuff in order for him to get the, you know, the the, the foundation, the the cultural uh, connection to the, to, to the other greats and, you know, how things are made, watching masterful writers, you know, do their thing, you know, watching masterful musicians and, and producers and asking questions as a 14, 15, and 16 year old, yo, what chord is that? You know, what, 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 you know, what are you guys doing right here? You know what I'm saying? You know, that's a part of the story, you know, and then it's where I'm coming from is let me try my hand at what it sounds like when I do what I'm going to do. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something a little bit different because the Funk Brothers and Stevie Wonder, they're not peers age-wise. That's right. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of the artists in Stevie, they were not peers, you know, as it pertains to the, their ages. 
You know what I'm saying? So Stevie is going to do something newer, fresher, cutting edge, looking to the future. You know what I'm saying? And this is a part of it. And then you look at, you know, it's kind of like the chronology. And then you see a young Michael Jackson peeping that. Hmm. Thinking forward, breaking away, you know, and quiet is kept the same way Stevie kind of had to come from up under, in a way, um, the kind of a Motown machine in order to kind of get with the Stevie machine, you know, and do what he was doing was in order for him to blossom. It's almost what Michael had to do with his brothers, because here you are with the Jackson five and the Jacksons. When it got to the point where Dance Machine came out and Michael was in the middle doing the robot and the guys just had to watch, that's when you knew. It's like, yo, Michael is about to go somewhere where the the the, the guy, the brothers would look at and say, man, he's, this, he's doing something else. You know what I'm saying? Right. And in order for Michael to do what he ultimately ended up doing, he kind of had to get out there on his own and explore who he is. You know what I'm saying? And we're watching this in a different way happen with a different, brilliant, you know, Motown you know, artist in Stevie Wonder in Music of My Mind is right in the mix of that. You know, that is, that it's is, exciting. It's exciting. That That's it. That's it right there. Like you said, when you have to, and it's, and it's a destiny, no pun intended. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wait, you... <laughs> <laughs> our shoulders are shaking for those listening. Right, but right. when you are destined yeah. for a certain greatness yeah. and you have a certain mission yeah. and sure you have your foundation and you have your soil and it's rich and it's ancestral and it's because mm. Motown couldn't have been Motown without what came before it, the blues, the gospel, the jazz, all, all exactly the, the, the hymns, the spirituals, all of, all of it. Right. So it's all a continuum. So yes, you have to come from, and you, and you do come from this very rich soil. And then there's like a plot <laughs> that's where you got to do your own yes. harvest, re, you know, sowing and harvesting, and you've got to kind of take a different path to make that happen. And sometimes it's really scary for the foundation. Cause it's like, well, where are you going? Yeah. You know, but it's like, but when it's destined, yeah. there's no, there, there's no stopping that. And, and I think it happens for Stevie. One of the things that happens that to me really starts to define mm-hmm. where he goes with, with this record mm-hmm. is Tonto. He hears this album, legend has it by Bob Margulov and Malcolm Cecil, Malcolm Cecil, who actually passed last year. He hears this album by these um, two really engineers, but Malcolm Cecil is a profound bassist. And he hears the two of them. He hears this album and he's like, oh shit. Here's the palette. Here's here's this palette I've been looking for. Here's the sounds that I've mm. been hearing in my mind. I got to get with these cats. Yes. I got I got to get with them. Mm-hmm. So Tonto was the name of the I don't even know what to call it. I guess you could call it a it's like a synthesizer spaceship. 
Yeah. This thing yeah. is like this thing. I mean, I, I would encourage anybody listening to just look at some images of Tonto. It's eight, I believe it's eight synthesizers that uh Cecil and Margulif assemble. Yeah. It kind of has this round shape. Yeah. The, and it's and it's monophonic, which I want to talk to you about that part as well. Yeah. And you can literally like sit inside. It's literally the largest synthesizer ever in the world. Yeah. yeah. It is like another dimension for Stevie to create. Yeah. So Margulov and Cecil, who are the, um, I can't just relegate them to engineers. Right. What they, what it's, what, what my understanding is of what they did for Stevie was to sort of be the conduit, right? Between mm -hmm. what he was hearing in his mind mm -hmm. and what sounds could be available to him yes. to manipulate, to play with, to shape shift, to, to create yeah. something that we literally had not heard before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in talking about uh, music of my mind, we would be remiss yeah. to sort of skip over oh. those, those two, those two uh, giants, those giants. architects of yeah. engineering. I, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around exactly what it is. And then, you know, in prepping to talk to you and understanding that Tonto was a monophonic machine, yeah. I keep calling it a spaceship because that's what it looks yeah. like. Yeah. So. My understanding, because I'm a lay person when it comes to studio equipment and things like that, is that they had to play, you could only play one note per keyboard. Yeah. yeah. Or something like this. So when yeah. I think about that, it changes the way I hear music of my mind. Because any other album that I love, I think of, let's take, John Coltrane ballads, for instance. You know how much yeah. I love that record. I know you love that record too. Absolutely. When I picture them, I picture everybody in the same room, or maybe there's some some plexiglass between musicians, and maybe John is standing over here and the drums are over there. I mean, I can fathom mm -hmm. what it looks like. Mm -hmm. But because Tonto is this I, this 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 massive creation, this thing that mm -hmm. never existed before. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't picture the session. Mm. I can't picture how they did this. And mm. there's something about me not being able, as a layperson, to figure out how the fuck they did this mm -hmm. that makes it even more mystical to me. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, whenever I would watch um, footage of them in the studio, you know, with Tonto and with Stevie and stuff, whenever I saw clips, you know, just like a clip. And it was always very short, very quick. And, um, you know, if there's something much longer, I would love to, to see. I was going to say, what you got? What you got? <laughs> but it looked like they were operating... Um, like you said, a spaceship or like how people like you go into the cockpit of a plane and all of these things, you, you can't even imagine what all of these different things do. And there's people who know how to do it. So it's almost like Stevie Wonder's in the cockpit saying, listen, we need to I want to go over here. I want to go over there. OK, here's how you get there. Boom. And now he's playing. 
now he's doing what he's doing. They were like the, they were literally like the computer. Like today, like we have a computer. It's like those guys were literally the computer. Like for me, I'm thinking there's something I want to do. And then I start browsing through these plugins and, you know, and stuff like you start browsing, you try to look for things. But imagine if there was a person in there and you would say, I want this to sound like this, that, and the third. And they would say, let me find it for you. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it's analog, right? It's, this is an analog machine. Analog machine. And but but here's the thing that's crazy. What Stevie wanted to hear hadn't been done though. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So right. So so for, for this was the perfect marriage because these guys would do was doing that they had created this contraption. Matter of fact, you know, you and I went to uh the fame school, as they say, in there was a uh, a character in the movie Fame, and when they were doing their auditions, and he said, "They said, well, where's your where's your instrument? Where's the orchestra?" He said, "I don't need I don't need any of that. I have this." And he had this contraption. He did like a whole. He, it's like he did a piece. It was like a whole orchestra. He was playing this keyboard, and it was all synthesizers. And this is it, of course, nineteen eighty. So I always felt like that was literally they were trying to do what Stevie Wonder had been doing because Stevie Wonder literally, because they, Tonto was called like a, almost like an, like, like a, a, a synthetic orchestra. It's like a synthesizer yes. orchestra. You can just, you can do it all, you know, whatever sound you want to hear, you know, and I always loved the fact that sometimes let's say Stevie had a sound that almost sound brass ish. Right. And let's say this is, this is supposed to be like a, this is supposed to mimic a trumpet or this is supposed to mimic brass. He didn't use it like a trumpet. He used it based on what it sounded like to him. So based on what it sounds like, this is what it needs to do. Forget the fact that they're calling it uh, like a synthetic trumpet. I'm going to use this sound the way it's, it, 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 it should sound on this song. I'm going to use it to do this particular line, this cadence, this melody, because that's what I'm hearing forget about the fact that what they're calling it, this is what it's going to be. Then we're going to put some tremolo. We're going to put a pedal on it. You know, we're going to, is there a way that we can kind of wow, wow this thing out? You know what I'm saying? Is there right, a way that we right, can... right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just a match made in heaven. And I think oh, that man. when you listen to Stevie Wonder, without Stevie Wonder doing this, you know, we listen years later, a whole industry kind of, you know, one of the one of the, the the great masterminds behind being able to use synths of uh, years later would be Prince. Yes, you know what I'm saying. And listening to Prince and the way Prince used the synth sounds and stuff like that, Prince was a huge uh, admirer of Stevie Wonder's work and stuff. So this is this is all the way back in '72, and we're looking at where things are about to go. So it was perfect that they was in a spaceship. Yeah, because that's <laughs> right. <laughs> that's where we, we about to go to the moon. We about to go all the way out there. Wow. Mm. And so let's, let's, with that said, let's get into these tracks. Let's get let's into, get into it. Let's, let's get, do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just giddy. I'm just smiling. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Look, you. I mean, the first thing we hear is this like buzzed out synth I don't know if it's a synth guitar, if it's synth bass, if it's synth keyboards. I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's just, 
Oh my God. Like just that opening mm. is so damn funky. Yes, it is. And and, and let, let me just backtrack to say this. This is, it would be too simplistic to say a one-man band, but it is the closest thing you're gonna get yeah. to a one-man band, and it's insane. Mm. So that mm. first track. Love Perfect. having you around. Co-written mm -hmm. by Stevie Wonder and Sarita Wright. First of all, it was only fitting that it's the first song and that the first song features Sarita Wright. You know, I I, I felt like it was only fitting. You know, um, once white may, may, may she rest in peace, beautiful lady, very talented, brilliant. And for you know, once once wife of Stevie Wonder, you know, and they've wrote and collaborated on many things you know, prior and after that, it was only fitting that she was a part of the very first song, you know, Love Having You Around. But, you know, I kind of, one of the things that I, one of the things that I love about it is the playfulness of it. You know, it's like, cause it, we all know if you follow Stevie Wonder, even if you don't follow Stevie Wonder, you know, that Stevie's always been someone who has a sense of humor. You know, he's the first person to like crack jokes, be funny in his uh, uh, comedic timing is, is immaculate. But it's almost like this album, as we talked about, it was kind of a gateway of, of, of sorts to some things. But he still had the, 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 the joy and the playfulness and the fun of little Stevie Wonder. It was still right. there. That's you right. know, and it was the perfect way. He starts the album in a very playful way. He starts the album by using a little humor. And, and sometimes... When a person is so talented, they can just play around. They can just kind of play around. And in the playing, you'd be like, wow. <laughs> and they just kind of joking. You know, they just play around. But he he literally started the album. I'm messing with y'all. I'm playing with y'all. You have no idea how <laughs> this album is going to get. You have no idea. But I can't start it that way. I can't start it that way. I'm going to start it off. Hey, welcome, everybody. We're going to have a little fun tonight. You know what I'm saying? Right. But before you know it, you've been pulled into something deep. You know it's going to be this deep now, didn't you? You know what I'm saying? Yes. So I thought it was I, I thought it was just perfect to kind of start it with that playfulness. You know, I never thought about that. That is such a nice hook. Mm, yes. That is that is a really brilliant hook. It's the playfulness and I'm, I'm just kind of toying with you with this song because by the time we get to the next one I'm going to turn your world upside down I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do some things to you yeah and that that first track he it, it's funky he you know his drumming Stevie's drumming is some of my favorite it's yeah. so perfect for him but it's mm -hmm. also just so good it's so yeah. funky it's yeah. so it's so personalized but it just it it feels so good mm -hmm. and on this track you know he starts with those sort of exaggerated runs like you say you know and all that kind of stuff you know he's he's playing no we're not in the right key but he's he plays around like you mm -hmm. said with all those symbols of what it means to sing with soul or you know all that kind of stuff and then 
this song, it has elements of blues. It has elements of jazz. It has elements of funk. It's like this whole thing, but like kind of like how you've never heard it before though. And the song, you know, it has a breakdown. It has a trombone solo. So it it has improvisation and then it comes back up and then it drops out. And it's got this this shout kind of thing that happens to it too. By the time you're done, I mean, it's got this futuristic Yes. Spaceship thing on it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it is it is literally the breadth of all black music that we brought here. And wherever it's going, by the time you hear that those computer sounds on the end, this album, and, and you talk about Sarita, mm-hmm. by this time. I don't know if I think they might be breaking up by this yeah. time. You might have the chronology a little sharper than I do, but I think by this time, you trouble know, in paradise. a little bit of trouble in paradise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's 21. Yeah. I mean, that's really young to yeah. be married for one. Oh yeah. Right? That's a, that's really young, but it's also really young to be figuring out love. Yeah. And then even like toward the very, very end, he says mm-hmm. something like, mm-hmm something about keeping you near and then he goes keep your black butt here yeah 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 <laughs> like, exactly you know he's sneaking in he's sort of intimating where the relationship is and yeah. what he's going through yeah on you know it's he's like you said he's so playful with it but he's going through some real life stuff here yeah you know the you know in in, in the fact that he's using a blues uh, so to speak to uh, sentiment, you know, in order to articulate this. Blues is the opposite to me of denial. You know, blues is the acknowledging of a thing. It is a coming to terms with. It is a facing a thing. You know, the opposite of blues would be denial. And so what he's doing is there's some playfulness in there. But there's a serious responsibility that comes with blues. And he understood that. And he got to it on there. Um, he started in a satirical kind of a way. But, there, you know, they say there, there's always some seriousness in a joke or whatever. That's what this is. You know what I'm saying? And to whom it may concern, because you hear that song, you know that's about me. And you know he's dead serious. That's right. When he's saying what he's saying. So, you know, it's all of those elements coming together in one piece. And it's a perfect way to package it. You know what I mean? To, especially to start that album. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Because he's going to get into some things on this album. He's going to get into some things. Uh, George Clinton was asked to name, and this was only like about 10 years ago. Um, they asked George Clinton to name some of the funkiest funksters that he knew. And of course, he named some usual suspects. He said James Brown, you know, he said Sly, you know, he said some of the people, but he said Stevie Wonder. He said Stevie Wonder could get as funky as anybody else. He said, trust me. And he mentioned Stevie. You know, I thought that, I always thought that was dope because, you know, George Clinton is, that's King Funk right there. You know, it's all about the funk with him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, Live by the funk, die by the funk. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, him saying that. And so this to me, is one of those tracks that you can listen to and know a little bit about what he's talking about, what oh. George was was alluding to. And the thing is, 
the thing that's one of the things that separates Stevie Wonder from many of his contemporaries is what's about to happen after this song goes off. Which leads us to. Ah, come on now. It's a sonic masterpiece. Mm. It's something that I don't know anyone who's heard it and they're not changed after it. I certainly mm. was changed forever. Mm. And I was on the subway mm. when I heard it in my headphones on my disc man. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'd heard it before in, in the mm-hmm. recesses of my mind, maybe mm-hmm. it was there, mm-hmm. can't say for sure. Yeah. But what I know mm-hmm. is that I might've been physically on the subway, mm. but spiritually my soul had transcended to, it was, it was an ethereal yeah. experience that yeah. um, is very difficult to put into words. When I think oh, yeah. about this song, the oh, song yeah. is Superwoman. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's one of those songs that, Every time you play it, mm. it's it can change your life. Every single time, there's the the conscious awareness of divinity. Oh yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's the that's that's the best my best try at trying mm. to describe yeah. Superwoman by Stephen. Mm. Yeah, you know, and just the work that you put in to try and describe it, it's the perfect explanation, especially for your experience. But I think that's that captures Stevie Wonder in a nutshell, trying to put a finger on explaining what it is that he's doing. Because if it was that easy to explain, maybe it would be that easy to do. And if mm-hmm. it was that easy to do, maybe anybody would be doing it. But I think that that's the struggle that you have. The struggle is to even put into words what you're hearing, feeling, experiencing, you know, and that happened, that's going to happen a few more times throughout this conversation, because this is who, yes. this is what it is, you know, but listen, you know, for me, <laughs> you know, whatever I say for me, I think of, <laughs> I think of a whole nother thing, this uh, conversation we had, <laughs> but, but I, I think like with Superwoman, I don't know. I feel like what comes to mind is a a saga, Uh, uh, just lyrically in the feeling. I feel like it's the saga of, it's almost like this woman, Mary wants to be a superwoman, but is that really him? This is something that he's trying to follow her. He's trying to, he's trying to understand the situation, but here's the thing that always stood out to me through all that goes on. He absolutely loves this woman no matter what i mean look i love is at an end like he you know he, he's putting you know certain things out there you know but in thinking about it it is it, really kind of kind of magical because it's a struggle because at in, in one point you know he's saying i think i can deal with everything going through your head and then he comes back you know i just had to say goodbye but it's so crazy because this is somebody that you know, 
I know you very well. I know you very well. This is a, there's a bond here. It's playful a little bit. There's a sadness there, but he's kind of like, you know, it got, it got a little bit of a groove to it. You know what I'm saying? You can groove a little bit, you know, <laughs> but after that happens, something sets in, something grabs a hold, something takes a hold of the situation. Here comes the seriousness of it. Because think about it. You're breaking up with somebody or you're going, you're going to go your own way. It's like, well, you know, oh, that's how you want it. All right, well, that's just how it's going to be. All right, well, this, this. You ain't going to boss the bull around like you right, said. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there is a realization, well, this is life. This is how life is going to be without you. And the, you know, shout out to Tonto this composition that connects the two thoughts or the two experiences together from Superwoman into the next part, where were you and I needed you? You know, that composition that brings them two together is, it's like a sermon or a service or a, or a, or, or, or a meditation, you know, or something like that. It happens. And you know that that's what you're witnessing. You're not witnessing Stevie Wonder doing all these acrobatics to, to uh, wow you. You're not listening to him do anything that there's no ego in it. There's no ego in it. It is a message there. And the message calls for it to just be beautiful, for it to be profound, for it to be sad, for it to be everything that it is. And it sets up for a bitter line, for the bitter, the bitterness of him talking about the, the contrast between winter and summer and fall. But that winter, where were you when I needed you last winter? And you realize how symbolic those words are. Because he's not just talking about, oh, well, it's, 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 it's January, it's February, you know, where were you when I needed you? You know, it, it was cold in here and I needed you to pay the bills so that I could pay the turn. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you realize that what he's doing is symbolic, you know, when he says a line like, uh, you went further south. So he's not saying like, oh, it became winter and then you went down to South Carolina and you ain't take me, which, you know, he's talking about freedom, you know, but he's talking about this and you realize the symbolism. And he's originally saying our love is at an end. But at some point he starts saying, where were you when I needed you last winter? Then he says, well, where were you when I need you like right now? And then he goes on to say repeatedly, I need you. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So it's not just about last winter. Last winter is just a symbol of the pain and the hurt and the bitterness of what I'm feeling. But I need you now. I need you right now. And that right there is the human experience right there. Period. If you've ever loved someone, which we all have in any capacity to love and lose love, and the way, as you said so brilliantly, thank you for that. I literally closed my eyes while you were talking for some of it because I wanted to 
get into that meditative space that you're speaking of and hearing it play back in my head. Mm-hmm. In the first part, you hear the ego, but you know, very well, you know, and then like you said, there's this, uh, first of all, I love the harmonies on the, on the second verse, the, the dow dow and dows, whoa, 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 yeah. all of that. Um, so beautiful. Um, and then the last time he says, and I wish I could think of everything going through your head. And then you hear almost like this, you hear the shift, right? With these, with like these bells, like the doom, 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 doom. Absolutely. We go from the ego yeah. to the, to the spirit, mm. you know, mm. I'm really trying to figure out, like you said, it's really tough to put into words, but you literally go from the head to the heart or the, oh, yeah. to the, to the, to the spirit. There's the bearing of mm. I'm hurt. I'm vulnerable. Mm. I'm afraid I, I, I can't do this. Like, mm-hmm. and then even like the, how could you even, you know, there's yeah. the, I have no ego now. I have nothing to, mm. to, I don't have nothing to front about right yeah. now. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm not, I'm not, bull anymore i'm literally like bear yeah and where are you i mean it's just lyrically uh it's it's something of another level obviously musically never heard anything like it um so stevie plays this it's uh it's there's no drums at first when the summer came you were not around now the summer's gone love cannot be found where are you when i needed you last winter and then the the backbeat comes in which is so dope and i love his use of the kick drum it's so it's so sweet yeah and I don't know the process in which they overdubbed or how they did it or when they did or, you know, whatever, what layers came first. But I think that Buzz does such a gorgeous job of accompanying with that guitar because it's almost Mm. like there's a conversation happening there. You know, you could almost like, and I I do this all the time when I'm listening to Superwoman Mm. and he's saying, when the winter came and I'm answering back with the guitar line, you know, because it literally sounds like banter between the synthesizers and the guitar having a a conversation. Oh yeah. It's so beautiful. This is before he even plays his solo, Buzz plays the solo. It's gorgeous. These gorgeous through lines, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very, um, melodic like almost like the George Ben like how melodic George Benson is but it's, oh, it's yeah. you know it's, it's 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 so melodic these gorgeous what would you call them like ribbons almost of, mm. of melody yes. over over what he's playing yeah it's it's unbelievable oh and then man. you know you got the great Stevie modulation you yeah, know oh, yeah. you got the classic modulation there come on and then you know it, it's it's by the time you reach the height and then the and then there's the letdown yeah you you've been you've been around the world and back yeah you've gone on a magnificent journey you know in that song and um the humanness of it i you know i dare a person to hear that and not relate 
Uh, and it ends sweetly. You know, it doesn't end bitterly. It ends sweetly. I remember uh, I was shopping some songs, some songs that I had written, and I was told by an executive, he said, you know, I noticed that in your songs, you always put women on a pedestal. And I had never thought about it. Never entered my mind. I just was writing songs. And I said, okay, <laughs> all right, you know, I'll take it. You know, that's, that's, that's about right, you know. But him ending the song so sweetly, he never takes her down from whatever pedestal he had her on. No matter how mad at her he got, no matter how they butt heads. And, and then he started saying, how could you? And, and then that, but, but he ends it sweetly to me because she still has a place there. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Cause the key, the sense I, I, they're they're so gorgeous. They sound like they're weeping. There the, you go. You know, the 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 lower yes. ones and the higher ones, right? Don't they sound like yes. they're, they're like weeping? And then yes. she does something so charming. It's my it's well, it's one of my favorite parts of the song. Right before this moment, um, he says he sings, "Where were you when I needed you?" And that's the last time he says it. Mm-hmm. And then he resolves. But then there's this gorgeous gorgeous set of the way he manipulates these chords oh yeah then he goes and then it's just this sustain Mm. and then you hear Mm. something that we've been hearing Mm. since we were kids probably Mm. but then he goes yeah go that seven yeah come on now yeah it's a playful nod to your childhood. It's like the ding dong dong ding. Hear the chimes ring. Wherever yeah, that's yeah, from, yeah. I think it's a, a like a old British clock song mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's matter of fact, I think George Harrison did a song with with that because we got to. This is early seventies. Being brilliant songwriters and experimentation and all of those things, and in the early seventies, I could see how they could be winking and nodding to each other a little bit yeah yeah but but there yeah he ends the song on this beautiful little childhood melody after playing all this sophisticated incredible sonic euphoric masterfulness and then he ends with this little nursery rhyme almost It's, it's brilliant it is brilliant and you know not only does he end it with that playful kind of a nursery rhyme but you're right it is you always hear that melody in conjunction with clocks which uh I gotta think about that I gotta think about his decision about how time plays into that whole idea you know and um you know tomorrow reflect love's past there's a lot of talk about time and space and stuff like that so I got to think about that because I, I, I like what you just now said and I, I thought about that there, there's a there there you know what I'm saying yeah. there's definitely a there there right it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel meaningless yeah like it's not happenstance like yeah there's a there's there's a reason it definitely feels yeah. like it I love every little thing about you yeah it, this yeah. is like a reprieve almost from Superwoman yeah. because you we done went all the way up here and then we came down, yeah. you know. It is. And I, I almost feel like this is one of those great affirmations to 
the beauty, inner beauty and outer beauty of this woman. Perfect imperfections, as they say. Mm-hmm. You know, it almost feels like the the pre the precursor to later songs by other artists like uh, Just the Way You Are. Don't go changing trying to please me. Billy wow. Joe, Just the Way You Are. Bruno Mars is Just the Way You Are. You know, you know, your hair is fine. You don't have to, you know, but, you know, that kind of thing. You don't have to get all crazy for I love you just the way you are. And I list I love every little thing about you. You know, nobody even likes every little thing about themselves. <laughs> like, as lighthearted as it is, it's deep. It's very it deep. Is. Yeah. <laughs> There's a part in it that almost, first of all, this is an album that I recommend. I don't care how many times you've heard it. Listen to it in some really good headphones. But one of the things that's really cool in this song is that he's doing this like percussive breathing thing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, he's doing all that. It's almost like Michael prototype type stuff. Like how when you listen to Michael do like all the breathing stuff on like maybe working day and night. Yeah, working day and night. (laughs) He, He later... With each beat of my heart, you you hear him do that later, you know, kind of the timing of the breathing. There is a a version of that song on one of Sarita's albums. And yes, yes, he he produces it. He plays on it. He appears on the song as well. And they kind of kind of displaced the um, the cadence of the hook. She goes one, two, three, four, and boom. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love every little thing. It's a swing to it. Yes. You know, and then she says, what do you think about that, brother? You know, and then he answers her on the song. You know what I'm saying? Which is, a, which is, which is really, really beautiful. Uh, oh. great. I, I, I love that. You know, that kind of playing around, that playfulness. I'm a sucker for that. You know, you know, sometimes... We think we know what a relationship's intention and trajectory is going to be. And then life shows that it's something so much bigger. It's something so much different than you could ever imagine. The creative marriage of these two artists is just amazing. Amazing. And they they went, uh, even through it all, they went on and on collaborating (laughs) just for you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's like you, you know when it's real, you know when it's right. Well, I remember uh David Rich talked about how when he was uh writing uh with Marvin Divided Soul, he said he uh, he and Marvin were together and Marvin had to go get something from a place, the house, and um Anna was gonna be there. He said, Man, you know, they had they have been going through some 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 stuff, you know. Yeah. He said Marvin got out the car, walked up the walkway. Anna came out the house. She had no she had no shoes on. She ran to him. He ran to her, and they gave each other this big hug. This was in the middle of their divorce. They gave each other this big hug. You know what I'm saying? And it adds depth. It just adds so much depth to the human experience. Because you, you you would think otherwise, you know what I'm saying? Yes, you um, did, no, I would. You would think otherwise, you know. Uh, you know, you can leave, but it's gonna cost you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm, because because I, because because when Marvin did the album, 
of course, hear my dear, you know, of course, she wanted to sue him for defamation. <laughs> right, right, like right. <laughs> exactly. But in the midst of it all. In, in the midst of it all, love. there was something there that is not surfacing. It's, yeah. it's totally beyond the surface, something that maybe they didn't totally understand. But that's kind of what you see for me, at least. You know, when I look at Stevie and Sarita, you look at an album and it's like, man, this is 1976. And it's saying, you know, Steve one is Sarita right. You know, right, <laughs> like, right. Exactly. It's really mind blowing. It just shows, you know, there's a purpose beyond what we know sometimes. Yeah. Why people are in each other's lives. And when we look at Stevie's body of work and Sarita's contribution to it, it's evident that this was an ordained spiritual thing that that could that's beyond a marriage and and, and all that kind of stuff. It transcended where the, I think they even could imagine it was going to go. Absolutely, uh, it takes me to a line that both a person that they both collaborated with amazingly, Minnie Ripperton. There's a line that Minnie Ripperton says when she says, uh, the reasons for my life are more than I was told. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So you're constantly evaluating, learning. Yeah, those are the types of things that a person don't tell you about. It, it happens. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And we just get to be the, the benefactors of whatever is created. And so the last song on... Uh, side A is this sweet little girl song, which to me, as we were saying, this is the time period where Stevie starts hinting at the things that he likes, yeah, things yeah. that do it for him. Yeah. And there's this country twang. In my mind, Stevie loves country music. Oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> and he does yeah. because by, by 79, 80, he does a full on country song no doubt he's just like you know what all the gloves are off let's just go ahead and do it <laughs> i've been hinting i've been hinting at it now let's just go right on ahead and do the song exactly exactly and that that's what um sweet little girl feels like to me yes yo you know what and we have to also remember that in that era western movies and that was the action film back in the day you know there was no you know, the, the the special effects that people have today. The action, you know, car chases and things blowing up. The action film was horses and, you know, the Western, you know what I mean? And so, you know, and then you have to, we have to also think about the fact that country music is ours. You know what I mean? Um, you know, coming out of the country blues and all of that stuff, you know? And so sometimes you got to come take something back. You know, sometimes you got to say, I left this. I'll be taking this right quick. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, and I think that's kind of that's kind of what he did. And I love how playful he was. And there's something about this that is almost theater and satirical, you know, because he starts it off. In the way he's singing, it's just it's it's for it's like it it's a, it's it's the satire of a soul singer of a bluesy guy or whatever the case is, and then he goes into like a character when they do like the you know the the uh, key signature kind of vibe you know change or, I'm sorry time signature kind of a change and starts swinging 
and he goes into like this character that's just hilarious, right? It's just it's Come totally on now, baby. <laughs> exactly. He goes into that guy. You know, you, you know your daddy loves you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love that. But here's the thing that's so crazy about it to me, that's genius about it. Two minutes into the song, he becomes Stevie Wonder, the Stevie Wonder that we know. He sheds of those two characters. And then he actually goes right straight ahead and does the thing. You know, it kind of reminds me, you know, of, you know, and this is a great segue connecting dots. Your uncle, Thelonious Monk, you know, uh, Thelonious Monk always used some type of humor in what he did, you know, and I won't say always, but he did use humor in what he did from time to time. And it would remind me of it reminded me of some of the guys who came before him, who he admired. Uh, Fats Waller, James P, you know, and uh, uh, Willard the Lion. And when you look at Fats Waller and Willard the Lion uh, specifically, you know, there was a level of humor there. And we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about how uh, brilliant uh, geniuses can also be extremely funny. You know, you, you hear it in the, you read it in the work of Toni Morrison, you know, I mean, you know, oftentimes, I mean, Maya Angelou is crazy funny. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are just certain people, you know, and then you have like singers and actresses, like we talked about um, Della Reese, you know, and who knew until you saw Harlem Nights, <laughs> you know, and she's comedic genius, comedic genius. And she's in there with Eddie and she's in there with Red Fox and she's in there with uh, uh, Richard Pryor and ultimately, you know, uh, Robin Harris and uh, Charlie Murphy's in that one. I mean, just so many different people, but there are so many serious artists that are able to have like a, uh, comedic timing in what they're doing yeah stevie wonder handled that to me in that song so what you have you have country you have blues he starts with a bluesy harmonica solo you know what i'm saying he has characters and then at some point he's like i now stevie wonder is going to take over this song and i'm going to actually you know uh, uh articulate what i'm feeling and thinking and i love that about that song they say that richard Pryor painted the line between comedy and tragedy more thinly than anyone had ever done. And on this project, Music of My Mind, when Stevie wanted to, he was able to paint the line between seriousness, love, tragedy, and comedy so thinly in that there was there was no barrier between them all you know that's so perfect that's a perfect takeaway mm -hmm. and side b of this album it starts with um almost like a continuum of that country it's almost like he uses the synth as a banjo on this song it's 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 genius mm -hmm. happier than the morning sun just the title alone mm -hmm. you know? And it's funny because he's saying I'm happier than the morning sun, but it's it's also blue. Very much so. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Like you said, painting that line very thin. Very thinly, you know. But let me tell you how profound everything you just said is to me and what I'm hearing and how you just now said that. There was a guy, Vince Avetti, of uh, uh, Rolling Stone magazine. He was a critic. You know, and he, you know, talked about music of my mind and some of it was good. Some of it didn't age well of what he said. 
you know, <laughs> about music of my mind, because, you know, some of the things, and this has all to do with Happy in the Morning Sun. One of the things that he called the album was self-indulgent because Stevie's playing all, oh, he just wants to play everything, <laughs> you know? How dare he? <laughs> How dare he be so talented to play everything, you know? Who does he think he is? You know what I'm saying? But the thing about it was he called Happier Than the Morning Sun ambitious. And I found that really interesting. I found it really interesting. I'm, here's why. Here's why. Something kind of based on what you just said. Happy Than the Morning Sun is folky, right? Well, uh, folk music comes directly out of the blues. And there's a period of time where they would say blues and they would say folk. And the only difference oftentimes would be that they're talking about other folk, whereas blues I'm talking about me in this situation or whatever the case may be. So the nucleus of what Stevie Wonder is doing is in his DNA. Now, if you go back to, let's say, Robert Johnson, somebody who they say is, you know, Robert Johnson's looked at as a the father of the blues, you know, the king of the blues, all of these different titles. Robert Johnson was brilliant, you know, died very young, tragically, of course. But Robert Johnson sang those types of songs every now and then. Hot Tamales and Red Hot or Lead Belly, you know, who um, from his Midnight Special and, you know, and all that stuff. Then you had a Mississippi John Hurt. These are the fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers of Happier Than the Morning Sun, actually. Happier Than the Morning Sun is not ambitious at all. It is beautiful. And it is actually a continuation of a cultural thing that Stevie comes from. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to tell a little truth. <laughs> That's all I'm here to do. You see, I'm giving you the floor. Listen, take the floor, my brother, because <laughs> what you're saying, reclamation, you know, is is very important when it comes to folk, when it comes to country, because these I think about even when we were coming of age and you had Tracy Chapman, who was huge at the time and people looking at her like she's doing white music. And that sentiment, not only is it inaccurate, but it is harmful to our ancestry because we are folk music. And yes, you know, you have your your Dylans and your Seegers and your people who and the and I'll tell you the 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 white folk the better white folk artists will tell you that. That's the thing. Yes. They they'll say it. Around this time, Stevie Wonder really really resented the word soul artist, the term soul artist. And I think if you if we look at that from a from a narrow perspective, you could say, oh, well, he didn't want to. What do you mean? You don't want to be a soul artist. You're you're black and you're soul. He didn't like the connotation of being boxed in because what Stevie was showing through his music was I'm an extension of this. I'm an extension of this. I'm an extension of all of these things. If you box me in to call me a soul artist, you're missing the depth of who I am as an artist and the delusion starts to happen to where you can have a Rolling Stone critic calling it ambitious in that connotation that we all know he meant, nice try kind of thing. Mm -hmm. When it's really, like you said, it is just an expression of 
that extension. Very, very great point that you're making there. Absolutely. You got shout out Odetta That's and right. so many other people. Now, now, now here's what's, here's what's interesting. I love what you just said because, you know, you know, with the whole, you know, reclamation and in and, and, and the boxing in, one of the very first people that they started identifying as a soul singer, not the first person marketed as a soul singer. I think the first person marketed as a soul singer was Otis Redding. But the thing that was crazy is even him, he was way more diverse than people uh, give him credit for. Um, can you hear some country and Western vibe with him? You know, like, uh, again, he comes from, you know, that that Delta, you know, and that whole thing. And you know, he's from Georgia. They kind of came down to that Delta, Memphis. But, you know, you got to think about the person that they called Mr. Soul, Sam Cooke. And Sam Cooke was that person that they would say, coming to the stage, Mr. Soul. And this is before there was soul music, you know, or a soul art. Mr. Soul himself, Sam Cooke. Well, if you can do that DNA and bring a lot of what people started ultimately calling soul music, um, the stacks and some of the, what Motown was doing, stuff, soul music and uh, James Brown, Soul Brother Number One. Well, if you can kind of bring it back to Mr. Soul, yo, when you listen to all of what Sam Cooke's uh, catalog sounds like, I mean, Sam Cooke was doing gospel. He was doing blues. He was doing show tunes, jazz standards. I mean, he was doing what they called pop at the time. You know, he was doing what ultimately became R&B. And then he did what was what ultimately became called soul music. Sam Cooke had the dexterity that he had. Even the person that they originally called Mr. Soul wasn't in the box that they try to put people in. You know what I'm saying? So I get it 100%. And it's almost like, it's almost when Stevie Wonder does that satirical soul singer kind of thing on this album, it's almost like uh, this type of thing to the people, you know, who, you know, this, yeah. we have soul singer Stevie Wonder here. And then he's like, you know, and this is, you know, and I, I wasn't going to say nothing, you know, <laughs> I wasn't going to say nothing. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. But, but, but since we're here, you know, I suspect that the reason why some of people's favorite songs by Stevie Wonder, outside of our community, outside of the cultural expression from which uh, we come from, is because th those songs oftentimes are blues that Stevie does. And those are the songs that we, first of all, that we love. We know where it comes from. We know the history. We know the DNA of it, you know. But the interesting thing about it is I think there are some people who are most comfortable with Stevie Wonder when he is doing the bluesy thing. You know what I'm saying? Because even in this, even in this article, um, Vince Avetti, he says, you know, I was dancing to this album. And I was just having a great experience to it. And then I sat down this to it and I said, hmm, you know, this album might not be a classic or, you know, this, that, and the third. Well, what he was looking for was he was looking to dance. He was looking to have an emotional experience in a blues, uh, a blues artist type of a way. And that's what he was looking for. And that's what he needed. And what he got was a little bit of that, but he got a whole bunch of other stuff. 
places that nobody had been. Um, how dare Stevie Wonder be a person who's doing such a thing, who's pushing the envelope um, as it pertains to key uh, signature changes, time signature changes, key signature changes. I mean, having to do with uh, uh, new technologies that a lot of the popular artists wasn't even up on yet, you know, which they did get up on later. When it comes to Stevie Wonder, there are people, listen, man, Stevie, oh, I love Stevie. Oh, man, high ground, superstition, you know. Uh, so in, again, I wish. I wish, you know. And listen, don't get it twisted. We love those songs. I'm going to listen to them right after we get off of this right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But we also know the dexterity in which Stevie Wonder possesses, and he understood what they were trying to say. That's right. Saying soul singer, soul artist. He knew. He knew. He knew. And, and he went. And he not. went on to piss them off. He went. He went on to piss them off repeatedly oh, on I, a whole bunch of other albums. Absolutely, absolutely. Well said. Sorry for the tangent, but yeah. I. Something just I'm not, to be said. <laughs> I, I'm not, and and it's and I'm not cutting it either, because <laughs> it, it, that I think that is one of the most important takeaways of our conversation, yeah. because we romanticize Stevie Wonder. We I think Stevie is often looked at as you know, like you said, some things need to be said, yeah. and there's a sort of non-threatening thing because you know of him being non-sighted and he sings about humanity and, and the world coming together and I think sometimes there are people and elements and industries that or piece parts of industries that like to like they did Dr. King mm -hmm. to sort of sanitize yeah. an artist to make them palatable so of course you know and when you have someone like stevie who's written hundreds and hundreds and thousands of songs mm -hmm. and you can cherry pick i just called to say i love you and you know these songs that are great and deep and and if you really want to look at the deeper meaning of it i mean stevie said when he did blowing in the wind mm -hmm. that was like the first time that people felt like oh you know he's doing a more politically charged song mm -hmm. but Stevie said that the first sort of really political song that he did was with a child's heart. So I think you can you can try to whitewash him or or sanitize him down all you want. It doesn't work because Stevie Wonder is easily one of the most revolutionary artists oh, yeah. of the 20th century. Oh yeah. When we think about his advocacy work, his political mm -hmm. strategizing, using his platform to get laws passed and bills passed and all that kind of stuff and put laws in the action. This is not an artist that you can do that to. So Absolutely. you have to be, you have to be jive. I think that we also have to remember Stevie Wonder, he's gets to Motown when he's, I think 11 years old. He comes out when he's 12 years old. This is someone who's performed in the Jim Crow South as a child. This is someone who understood profoundly what it meant to be black in this country and understood the creative inheritances that he rightly you know did his way yeah 
And there, and like you said, people would be uncomfortable with that because they either don't know the history yeah. or they want to, you know, so he, I was, you know, saying he, he comes of a time of like, you know, race music and that being a term and all that kind of stuff. And that's why he was like, don't, don't fence me in like the songs that don't fence me in. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not about to do that with y'all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it, it, what you said is so important and needed to be said. Thank you for bringing that up yeah. because that is such a central part of what this album means for his career going forward, mm-hmm. who he is at the time mm-hmm. and why, if you see any interview of him or read any interview between 70 and 72, why he is loathing that term he knows what the dog whistles are when people are saying that dog whistle absolutely dog whistle been around dog whistle been around for a long time listen a long (laughs) time girl blue though this this song right here Mm. Mm. i have girl blue is a song that has lifted me up when i was not feeling so great about myself it's a song that helps you reckon with how you should be feeling about yourself and how how to edify yourself and it's a cautionary tale you know what are your feelings about girl blue i love it i think that one it's a beautiful composition it is beautifully written um also you know shout out to yvonne Wright, you know who I, when I first saw it, I said, oh, she must be related to Sarita Wright, you know, but, um, I, you know, to my understanding that she's not, you know, um, one of the things that I love about this is it kind of keeps the blue theme going, you know, uh, it kind of still speaks to sadness um, because there's sadness in this album, there's happiness in this album, happier than the morning sun. You know, there's a, a, you know, spirituality, you know, reflectiveness. There's just so many things in this. This is like songs in this. This is like songs in the key of life before there was a songs in the key of life. Meaning he was taught, he was picking and choosing the things, all these different things in life in being able to put them in his songs. And that would become a thing for him to realize like, hey, I could, I could sing about a lot of different stuff. You know, Girl Blue kind of keeps that theme going in a way, the composition I feel is beautiful. Um, you know, the cording of it is beautiful. I love the percussion that he puts in there as well. You know, backing it up. You know, the percussion is just so amazing. I, I love it. You it know, it's like knocking on wood. It's a very African sound, right? That is. It sounds like knocking on wood. It sounds organic. Like somebody's in there just kind of, you know what I'm saying? Yes. I love that. I love that. An instrument is an instrument. You know, they, I think in some of Michael's stuff, they use like some bottles clicking together. I mean, that's, you know, um, so I, I love that. And I was, you know, also saying, you, you mentioned it was a cautionary tale, but the caution that stood out to me, he said, somewhere towards the end, he says, uh, little girl, be fair. Show yourself you care. Show yourself you care and let others and let others care for you. Let others care for you before it's too late. Because time won't wait for your heart to no longer be blue. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's 
it's a proactive song. It's a song about being proactive Ooh. about healing. Ooh. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It yeah. is. He's saying you can do something about this. Yeah, because on the bridge, thoughts of love are in your mind, let, yet splintered hopes push them aside. A look at life is what you need to try. It's like, yeah. this is the, these are the ingredients. These are the keys. And I, and I do love that line. I never really highlight extracting, let others care for you. That is something that I think women, Black women in particular, we have to be purposeful about. Yeah. We really have to be purposeful about mm. that because mm. we care for everyone else. Mm. And we live in a society where yeah. that, you know, that's not reciprocal. Mm-hmm. You know, the love that we put out is not always the love we get back. Yeah. And we can allow ourselves to let that love in when it is there. That is so, that's so profound. That is yeah. so profound. And I love the effect on his voice on that song. Oh, that what flange. What is that? Oh. Flange. Yeah, that's that flange right there. You know, and it, it's interesting because I've always loved that effect too. And it, it, when I first got a chance to be in a studio, I asked him. I asked the engineer, what is on Stevie Wonder's voice on the song Carol Blue? They said, oh, yeah, that's a flange. And then I was in the book. Can, 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 can you put that on my voice right now? I was like, yo, because you know, you start talking and you hear it. I can hear it. Oh, yeah, that that was that was beautiful. But I but the, the thing about that you said about um, oftentimes, you know, we have to let other people care for us. Trust is a part of it, too. You know, you have to, when a person is caring for you, you have to trust that person because you're, it's a vulnerable thing to allow yourself to be cared for um, and, be, and have things done for you. So you have to trust, you know, and it has to be people that you trust. And I, what I get from it is surrounding myself with people that I trust, because if I trust you, then I will be open to you caring for me because I know that you're going to handle me with care. You know what I'm saying? And trust, interestingly enough, reminds me of what we're going to talk about in the next song. Got you. Yeah. Bell Hook said, go where community finds you. Yes. Whisper said, love is where you find it. Yeah. It's, yeah. that's that's very very true and i don't want to move on from this song without quickly acknowledging a beautiful cover of mm-hmm. this song um that was done by the main ingredient on their aphrodisiac album the next year they said we can't wait you're right because time won't wait we we want this song now now and didn't didn't know this brother uh, ask for forgiveness if I'm mispronouncing his name, the arranger. You know, I did an episode um, of Milestones about, it was dedicated to Charles Stepney mm-hmm. with uh, Christian McBride. But what we did, we also just got into talking about many Black orchestrators and arrangers. Yeah. And um, for the main ingredients cover of um, Girl Blue, which is really gorgeous, yes. uh, the arranger is a black man 
His name is Bert de Cotil. Okay. De Corto, Corto. It's clearly French. So, French. and he's from Brooklyn. Wow. wow. Bert, like Bert and Ernie. De, and I'm going to spell it C O T E A U X. Bert de Cotil. That's how, that's that's how I'm that's I'm going back to my C-O-T-O-T. ninth grade. Yeah, C O T E A U X. Qatar. Qatar. Well, it, well, I guess in New Orleans they would say Qatar. Ah. Yeah. But he does this amazing uh, arrangement and version of Girl Blue. It's a, it's slowed down. Yes. It's orchestrated. I don't know who's on bass, but mm-hmm. I tried to find it. But he's killing it. So um, Stevie was also an artist who, by the time he was 21, people were already covering his work yeah, also, yeah. you know, yeah. and that aphrodisiac album. I mean, it's half Stevie stuff anyway. It's half the whole, yeah. it's like four or five different um, Stevie songs. But yeah, by this age, he has started to he could do a greatest hits performance if he wanted to. By this time, That's right. you know, people are covering his work mm-hmm. by this time, by the time he's 21. So it's. Yeah. It's it's it, that's also quite phenomenal that this album had already started being covered almost as soon as it came out, and Girl Blue was one of those songs. Main ingredient. Whenever I think about the main ingredient, you know, I think about my man. You know, on them leaves, man. I listen, listen. I was the the first time I'd ever heard um, Cuba Gooding Senior. Um, it was, of course, way after the main ingredient. When I saw, I'm talking about live. It was way after, of course, the main ingredient. But I was at Harlem Week, and he was on the steps of Grant's tomb, singing. Wow. And I didn't realize who he was. I just knew that who I was listening to. I said, "Damn!" I was like, "This brother can sing. This is an OG right here, and he could really. He's singing people off the stage." <laughs> You know, I mean, but, but but smiling and having a great time. And I was just like, whoa. And they said, yeah, you know, he's part of the main ingredient. You know what I'm saying? You know, everybody plays the fool and all that. But I was like, what? And that's that was, I went back and started listening to the main ingredient. So shout out to, shout out, shout out to the main ingredient, the legacy of the main ingredient and, um, and rest in peace, you know, you know, to, 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 to the brother uh, Cooper Gooden Sr absolutely great great choice to do great choice to do girl blue among other songs great choice oh yeah every genre of music i feel like has covered stevie gospel musicians blues musicians folk musicians r&b and pop and 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 yeah it's just you and then and then then hip-hop has sampled them (laughs) yes indeed some better than others some better than others but uh, can i just say this and this is the singer in me speaking we all want to remake Stevie, but it is one of those things where if you're going to do it, you better choose wisely. And most of the songs that you will want to remake, you will probably be best not to. It'll probably be best not to. This is no, no shot to anybody because no. there's some great singers out there, but... Most songs you want to just listen to, just stand clear of that, you know, unless you feel like you can do something with it that is both paying homage to Stevie and putting you in a comfort zone and somehow or another bringing everything together in a way that we could say, I like that. I, I see what you did there. That was that was good. 
was, yeah, exactly, exactly. Not be easy, very careful. Be very careful. It's not an easy feat, which is why I think that 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 main ingredient album is so stunning because they really knocked it out of the park, doing it authentically as themselves you know yeah. obviously with the support of some really really beautiful musicians and arranged and arrangements yeah. um but you were saying something is pointing to seem so long what what dot were you about to connect there across the word that stood out for me that threads the two songs together is trust in girl blue she is learning to trust herself in people and trust the process and uh getting healing um that's another word that i would that i would use to tie the two together is healing because seems so long just without before we even talk about it sonically <laughs> because sonically it's crazy but just the meaning you know behind it it's otherworldly it's a, it's a very human you know, experience that he's having, you know, he gets to a point where at the end, he's basically saying, I think I have found someone who's going to, you know, allow me to trust and love again. again. You know, that is where he lands. He's talking the opposite of blues is denial. There's no denial here. You know, this is this is true. This is a mirror moment. Look in the mirror. This is where I am. This is what it is. You know, and it is so melancholy, reflective. There's a sadness there. The way that it comes in. It. it, it the funny thing about it is that it girl blue and seems so long. There's no break in the in the music. It goes straight into it. Straight into it. Yeah. Seems so long. It's like a door. It's almost like Girl Blue somewhat concludes to whatever extent. And you close the door or you kind of closing the door. And then you get, there's a crack in the door and you hear, wait a minute, something else is happening. Yeah. And then you open the door back up and it, flowers into this new song in thought. And I hear a Hammond organ in there, B3. You know, I, I am hearing composition-wise, it's very Stevie. I am also hearing a little bit of a jazz standard in there. And then it gets to certain parts where those pivot chords I am starting to hear gospel of that time, the 70s. I'm talking uh, the, the Crouches, uh, the Hawkins, I mean, uh, of Cleveland, James Cleveland, Maddie Moss Clark. I, I am hearing the contemporary gospel of that time in which the old guard couldn't relate to, per se. This was totally new at that time. In those pivot chords, in him going, it seems so long, I mean, everything is there. The, the whole Black experience is there. His heart is in it. The spirit is there. The, 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 the culture is there. The experience is there. And we're with him. We hear a different side of Stevie as a drummer as well. 
because he's playing brushes. He's, it, it is more of a, a smoky jazz cafe kind of a vibe. And it's so interesting because there's a part, this very sort of Tony Bennett way where he ends the song when he's like, someone again, you know, like very, yeah. you know, and it's interesting because they, they recorded a couple of the same songs you know, they both did for once in my life and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But he he does this dramatic Joe Williams, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett dramatic yeah. thing at the end. After he does that long ending, it's so Stevie. It's so, yes, it is. that little nugget is yes, so it is. Stevie. It's just chef's kiss. It's so, oh. it's, it's the best. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you 100%. 100%. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know about. you do. I literally want to listen to it like as soon as we're done. But I can't wait to hear it. I, right, right. Exactly. And then it ends as mystically as it starts with that. I, I guess they're going to say, what is this lady doing on this microphone? I'm, I'm trying my best to like imitate these. Listen, these you're, doing a pretty, you're, doing a pre, you're doing a pretty good tanto. <laughs> you're doing a pretty good tanto. That, that's about as good of a tanto as a person would hear. You don't hear, listen, you don't hear a tanto uh, impersonation every day. <laughs> I, listen, I'm, I tried, I tried. It can go into the canon of jazz standards. Absolutely. You know, and I remember speaking of Tony Bennett, when they did the the Grammy salute to Stevie in, in 2015, he said something that was really smart and really important. And he said, you know, he's really one of the great jazz performers. He's one of he he is he is a jazz musician. Straight up. Straight up. And then there's keep on running, which mm. Uh-huh. You talk about out you talk about songs that would you would be scared of. Yo, when that would come on and some gonna get you, <laughs> some gonna grab you, some some gonna get come out the dark, we get that bush right there, go jump out right there, yeah, get you. you know I'm like, I'm like, yo, I'm like, he didn't even say someone, he said something. I said, listen, it's listen. <laughs> Listen, that you that right there used to scare. If I could just get past that part, I could enjoy the song. Right. That right there, that that beginning was like so like the like like the the, the five year old in me would come out. <laughs> See, I'm lucky. I know I, I grew up grew up with it. We didn't have bushes, right? <laughs> <laughs> so nothing was gonna come out the bushes and grab me. But it might come from around this building, right? <laughs> come right out that alley. Come out that alley and grab you. <laughs> the bluesiness of that as well. You know, I love him going back to that that funk, that backbeat. That waka waka, waka 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 It's it's got the walkers in it. Yes, it does. It got that. It got that waka waka. Got that uh, Fozzie Bear in there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it got that Fozzie Bear. You know, but <laughs> but but. That song right there, it kind of again, it kind of comes, it kind of comes home to something, something funky, something bluesy, something gospely, something. It it has also like this sort of black exploitation. I'm I'm seeing like a, a car chase out of Superfly or something. Yeah, right. Giving me like Dolomite, you know, type yes. of thing. It's it's 
of the time, right? We're talking 72. You know, we about to do some fake karate and, you know. Straight up. Straight up. It has that vibe. It's it's so fun. In black exploitation films, a person could just be walking down the street. There's no other music except for the wah-wah. The dude, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't even hear no chords or any notes. It's nope. just, it's just, it's just the, it's just the, the effect of the. So I'm with you with that. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, it really taps into that feeling and that sound of the time and soulful. And it's soulfulness. Stuff. It's very, very soulful. Very Afro puffs. Yes, and yeah. then you got the backgrounds. Keep on running, running <laughs> from You know, my my goal in life was to just be able to sing backgrounds for Stevie Wonder. Like if I like if I could just do that for like the rest of my life, I I'd be happy. It just yeah. it just seems like so much fun, you know. Say something. There are people out there that have sold a hundred million records that the highlight of their life would be to sing background for Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and this <laughs> so, so, I'm and just saying. I'm just saying lofty goal very lofty but it, but you know, listen it's attainable it's attainable you know what why not why it's not? attainable because what people don't know about you is that you can sing so i just want to throw that out there what people don't know about you is that you can sing. do not cut this part out <laughs> do not cut this part out angelica beaner can sing <laughs> if you run up on her and make her sing she's not gonna do it no nope. i'm telling you she can sing. <sighs> and don't and you better not edit this part out either. <laughs> well, I can't now because you said it. You said not to. <laughs> I'm gonna honor you, but oh Lord. <laughs> the album closes with a song called Evil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I could just the thing about it is the evil to me is a sacred song. He is literally confronting evil. You know, there was a song by Howlin' Wolf, blues singer called Evil, which he wasn't confronting evil. He was explaining what evil is. If you're a long way from home, can't sleep at night, grab your telephone, something just ain't right, there's, that's evil. There's evil going on in your home. I'm warning you, brother, you better watch your happy home. You know, he, he said, there's some evil going on. So he talks about things that are evil. Well, here Stevie Wonder is literally having a conversation with evil. He is confronting evil. Maybe the same evil that was going to reach out and grab you uh, in, in, in the previous <laughs> <in the laughs> You know, come out them bushes, evil. I got a few questions for you. Right. But but he's confronting evil. And when you listen to it, once again, it is building and building and building. And it can even be looked at as him becoming more confident and more confident and more confident and more intense in, in his demanding an answer to why are you doing this? You know, and he brought the whole choir with him. You know, because the choir is backing him up and he has that, the, again, the contemporary gospel sound. But he's doing something very stevie-ish and he's doing something very much so that's not necessarily done, you know, in, in modulations. And he's doing it consistently and consistently. And, and he keeps going to the point where you and I both know that he could have kept going. He couldn't have started the album more playfully 
well, he couldn't have ended it more seriously. And I feel that he ended it this way. He ended it on a, re- on a chord that resolves, but it only resolves in so that it's the end of the song. But we know it can keep going. It both resolves and ends abruptly. Now, there's the dichotomy there. Two things happens to me. One, the work isn't done yet. The work is not done yet. What say you? What will you do about this? This needs to be confronted. It's not done. It's not over. And it's going to keep going because it's a cycle. He's doing it in cycles. And that cycle isn't done. And he kind of makes that clear. But he also does something that I feel says this. I just brought you through love, heartbreak, disappointment, happiness, evil. Why have you destroyed so much of this world? Why have you taken over God's children's eyes? You know, your way is not the way to make life what it should be. This song right here, he ends the album in a way that solidifies why his work is so important. His work as a prophet of love, a prophet of hope, a prophet of explaining and pushing through and healing. His work is needed. So he ends this album affirming why this album is important to begin with. And there we have it, folks. (laughs) That's it right there. I don't even know what I can add to that. You know what I mean? Is Because I similarly, you know, had thought about the way the song resolves. It resolves in a way that it almost doesn't sound like it resolved. Right. Because of how, like you said, how abrupt it ends. And, you know, he's in his full, full voice the whole time and it's building and he's opening up his airways more and more and opening up his throat and, and, it, and it's full on stevie and then he ends with this vulnerable high note you know um i think a c a high c i think yeah because he starts out he starts there and he ends there yeah yeah oh yeah yeah the cycle the cycle exactly and he it's so vulnerable and and beautiful the way it ends but then it kind of just closes out it snatches it's almost like wait did that resolve oh yeah actually it did but it doesn't you know it's also like the song is major but it doesn't feel major it feels like a very minory kind of a song but it's you know so so many um deceptive things that happen to the ear with this song that is that are really really genius and you know we talk about this album being 50 you know and the questions like you said the questions remain whether we're talking about the congo or milwaukee or ukraine or, you know, wherever we, we're talking about in the world where there's just suffering, yeah. you know, and um, and like you said, it's it's um he's not saying the world is so evil. He literally says evil. Why have you? It's like he's sitting down having a conversation with an energy and, re- and rebuking its power. But then the way that it ends in this so resolved but not resolved way. It leaves us to sit in it and sit with it. Absolutely. And and then for it to just end on that note, like you said, it it makes it clear that I needed to renegotiate my relationship with this label, not just because I want to musically creatively have way more room. Yeah. 
but also like Marvin and like my contemporaries around me, I have something to say that's important and that's specific to my voice. My voice has to lend this thing, you know, and I have to do it. And like you said, when you hear evil, it all makes sense. All makes sense. That's why our work is so important because ultimately we're still in that space where we're looking for what we know that, um, you know, Marvin Gaye says uh, only love can conquer hate. And uh, we've had so many love messages in music and so many love messages in our daily life where a person could just might check on you. How you doing? How things going? You know, you need those types of things because this is, this is love uh, holding up people's legacies. You know what I'm saying? Carrying on people's legacies, no matter what that may be, uh, is a love. You know, there's, there's love there and we need that. And we need that more today than ever. Some years later, he said, love's the need of love today. Like we still need love. And, uh, I, and I've always said that love is the most powerful force in the world. You know, I know people say no, but hate, you know, hate will make people do. I'm like, if you think that hate is that strong, you haven't seen what love will make people do, you know, true love, real love. Um, the sacrifices of people have given their entire life because of love, um, laid down their lives because of love. So I just feel like that's what music of my mind represents for me. It represents messages of love, reality, uh, social commentary, healing, and so many different things. And I think the central part of that for me is love. Even if it's, you can hear his love for music in here. You can hear his love for his newfound freedom, his love to sing. You know, uh, you can hear it all. I think that's, I see that as the glue that holds everything together. Love. The ball is in our court today, I see. Evil proves it, that the ball is in our court. What will we do? Because we still are asking those questions and we still have yet to, to answer them. And I think for me, I have to figure out in my own life how to approach those questions and how to move my life in the direction that brings more love to the people around me and bring more love to just the community and bring more love to the world. That's what it is. Because who am I if I am contributing to the evil of the world? Then who am I? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think you make a very good point. It's something that we have to sit with consciously and really think about, you know, but I can, I can say, and I can say that. I can say that. I can say that you are um, doing the good work and fighting the good fight. And I'm just so happy that, you know, over the years of knowing you, You know, and then, you know, sure, there's been times where, you know, you're on TV and in videos and you're doing this and that and and people are seeing you in the spotlight in that way. But the great joy for me has definitely been celebrating all of your milestones. But the great joy for me at this juncture of our lives is for people to get a glimpse of who I have already had the honor and pleasure and privilege of knowing. And that is that heart center, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that you do through your work, all of the work that you do, 
right? Because you're not just doing one thing. You feel like an octopus. You got a lot going on. Um, he uh, Cross Academy, um, mm. which is your um, performing arts organization that you founded and run, and it serves youth who need more now than ever to be exposed to the arts and to the history of the arts and the education, the people who you have involved in that and, you know, the way they're blessing people individually under that moniker of love and that foundation of, you know, how you've built this thing. And everybody takes that mission statement, so to speak, and takes it into different schools and all of what you're doing there and all the love that you're giving back to our unsung musicians and artists and you know the flowers that you're giving everybody and the love that everybody's giving you it's so well deserved so I just say that to say when you're doing your inventory of whether or not you're doing your part you know you're doing it you know and whatever else you want to do obviously that's between you know you and, and your God and your heart but you know, as somebody who's been knowing you a long time, you love it more than you love your clavinet, as Stevie said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you love you love your people more than you love your clavinet. Listen, so. for one, thank you. And everything you literally said to me just now and about me just now also pertains to you. Because again, been watching you do all these things. I've known this Angelica for a long time, you know, and now people are getting to see and hear who you are. And I can't wait, you know, for them to even see more, you know, that's, you know, you know, I kind of tease you sometimes say, oh, she can sing or she can play or whatever the case is. But, you know, just your mind and the way your mind works and the work that you're doing and the flowers you're giving and the preservation of what you're doing, your family legacy, all of the brilliance that came, you know, through your family, you're a part of that, you know, that royalty and that legacy, you know, and I also just want to say I'm very proud of you, you know, for what you're doing. I am happy for you. I'm extremely proud of you. And I'm not the only one that's proud of you. A lot of people are proud of you. You know, I am proud of this particular cast here, this particular podcast, this particular episode. I am proud to be a part of it. I am proud to be your friend. And I am proud to be Marsha's friend. And I'm going to tell you to March 4th. Ashe, thank you. That's what I have to say to you. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And uh, <clears throat> where can the people find you? Well, they can find me here on this on this uh, podcast right now with you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nah, me. Um, you know, you can also catch me um, Instagram is a good hub for me. Um, this is TL cross. This is T L cross. Um, and you know, there it'll take you to a cross Academy, um, 
PA.com. The PA doesn't stand for Pennsylvania, it stands for performing arts. <laughs> People say, man, you know, I'm so proud of you at the school you got in Pennsylvania, man. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh that's I'm hilarious. It's funny. Oh, that's funny. It is, you know, well, well, you know, they call my school CAPA, Kappa, mm-hmm. uh, Cross Academy of Performing Arts. And so um, you can, uh, that link is on my Instagram. You can check that out. And I mean, I'm just one of those people who, if you like me, you can just Google away and, you know, whatever pops up, you know, enjoy it. Got it. Thank you so much. This has been a powerful and emotional uh, and very deep and very spiritual and beautiful episode. And um, thank you for helping me carry it over. Oh, yeah. finish line yeah. uh, Marsha we love you Yes. happy birthday to you and we will see you next time